Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Welcome to Coastal. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And again, just thank you for being here with us today, as well as thank you for being online with us as well. Christmas sweaters, you guys look amazing. Some of you really got into it, and I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, what, I'm wearing one that's, you know, kind of sports my favorite Christmas movie, which is Home Alone, my favorite Christmas movie. Thank you. It is the best Christmas movie, if we're honest. Uh, but I love Home Alone. My wife and I actually, uh, when we started dating, we quickly realized this was our favorite Christmas movie together, and that's the moment we knew, like we were to be together uh, forever at that moment. Uh, But we love Home Alone. We watch it every year 20 to 30 times or something like that between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, But we had to take a break the last two weeks because about two weeks ago, my seven-year-old daughter randomly said, Harry, why the hell you dress like a chicken? (laughs) And so we're like, we're not currently watching that. We're watching you know, Frosty and Rudolph from 60 years ago and 70 years ago, right? Uh, but we uh, had to kind of make a little bit of a change. You know, there's so many great Christmas movies out there, right? Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation, White Christmas is another one of my favorites. So many great ones. And so uh, actually, if you're watching online, I'd love for you to let us know what's your favorite Christmas movie? What's the best Christmas movie? And then right after that, tell us why it's Home Alone, okay? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but with Christmas movies, here's what's cool about Christmas movies. Everybody goes into a Christmas movie and you start to watch it and it's all about like, you know, trying to find like the perfect gift or there's one specific thing that they're looking for. One thing they're trying to find and ultimately it kind of leads to this point where it's more, it's bigger, it's a greater thing than what the thing is that they were looking for. You know, they go looking for a specific gift and ultimately find it's something better like a relationship, a friendship, time with family or, or spouse or kids and they find that there's a greater gift. Well, that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks in this series called The Gift. Pastor Chris and Pastor Ryan have preached the last two weeks on some of the gifts that were brought to Jesus uh, at his birth and from these wise men. And so you think about the gifts that they brought, and those gifts are so, uh, seem so small and so maybe insignificant if you were to read the Christmas story, but they predict and project something to who Jesus really is. And I want the whole point of this is that for you all to realize that the message of Christmas is still relevant and it still matters to you today. That's our hope through this series and through this time of Christmas is that you will realize that it is still of great importance to what's going on uh, for each and every one of us. And so if we've set the scene a little bit over the last few weeks, kind of going back and forth a little bit, but ultimately setting the scene of the wise men showing up. So here's the thing. You've got uh, Jesus who was born. You've got shepherds and animals and Mary and Joseph and all all these things. You kind of think of the scene. But we have talked about over the last couple weeks is that when the wise men show up on the scene, that it is most likely not baby Jesus. It's most likely toddler Jesus, which may change the scene for you a little bit, but it's all based off how far these wise men actually had to travel and the timing and things like that. Do you realize that the wise men, and let's go ahead and make sure we're clear on this too, that it was probably not three, it was most likely a few hundred wise men, but these wise men who showed up and they caravaned from the east about 9,000 miles, 9,000 miles. Now they didn't pack up in buses, but they loaded up in a caravan of camels and, and you know, different ways to, to make their way, about 9,000 miles. It took took probably about two and a half years. And we do know they were wise men because if they were wise women, it would have taken less time because they would have stopped and asked for directions. They would have gotten there a little quick. But we, so we do know that they were wise men when they showed up uh, on the scene. And so I want us to look at this, this verse just to kind of help get the scene going for where we're going to be at today. And it's Matthew 2, 10 to 11. If you've got your Bible, uh, if it's on your outline, if you've got a YouVersion Bible app, but Matthew 2, 10 to 11. It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. 
They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, what's really cool about these verses is when you see this and that they saw the child, what did they do? They bowed down. They worshiped him. They knelt before him. Now, I have never knelt before a toddler other than when I took like a low blow. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the only time. But these individuals, what they knew was this is not just some child. This is the Messiah. This is God's son, the one that has been sent to save and to redeem us. And so they knelt down and they worshiped him. It says, then they opened their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've talked about this the last few weeks. These seem like crummy gifts for a kid, right? Pastor Ryan last week talked about nose freedom. Man, that's an amazing gift if you've got a kid. But gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it doesn't seem to make sense. If it was in today's age, we'd, we'd probably bring gifts like, you know, like cryptocurrency or essential oils, toilet paper over the last few years, right? Those would be the gifts that people might would bring uh, as a part of that. But they bring these gifts, gold, like Pastor Chris mentioned two weeks ago. They bring the gift of gold to, to show that Jesus is the king of kings, that all nations and all rulers and authorities are under his footstool but also the fact that no one is in authority or in power without him saying, it's okay. But also, Pastor Ryan preached last week in using the gift of frankincense. Frankincense, the idea that we have this great high priest who is interceding for us, who has opened up the temple and the, the ability for us to be able to connect to God. So you've got gold, you've got frankincense, but wait, there's myrrh, right? Okay, if you're not gonna laugh at that, it's gonna be like a long 30 minutes, I'm just saying. <laughs> My wife's from Kentucky, and they would have said it like, like that joke would have killed in Kentucky, okay? But they got myrrh as the third gift. And myrrh is, is something that's of great value, and it, it's one of these things that like, it's this gum-like substance that it's an anesthetic to help against pain. Actually, when you look at Jesus on the cross, he's offered wine mixed with myrrh to actually numb the pain and the, what he's going through and what he's experiencing. But when he's also on the cross is what we're really gonna talk about today because that's what the gift of myrrh which is also used to embalm the dead, it projects and it shows and foreshadows what's to come in the death and burial of Jesus. So these gifts may seem so insignificant to so many people, and maybe even you, for when you read the story, normally you just kind of think about these gifts, but each one specifically speaks to something that's happening in the life of Jesus, who is our Messiah. And it all leads to this very first point that's on your notes. Jesus is the suffering servant. He's the suffering servant. Jesus is the one that has come to serve humanity by suffering for humanity, to suffer in our place. He was born to die for the sins of the world, to serve us by suffering. It's amazing to think that this is this child who is born, and he is ultimately born to die. That's the reason he came, is to redeem humanity. And this happened in such a specific way that in the Old Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that project and predict and prophesy how this is gonna actually happen. Hundreds of them. And if you think about it in this way, uh, so we got the Super Bowl in like seven weeks or so, right? And if I were to be able to sit here right now and tell you which two teams were in the Super Bowl and who would win the Super Bowl, and then it happened, you'd be like, man, that was really cool. That's awesome. How did, how did he do that? That's crazy that he was able to do that. But what if I was able to tell you the same thing, the Super Bowl, two teams, and the winner, and the score, 700 years from now? That would be insane. I mean, it'd probably be Tom Brady's, you know, whatever Super Bowl, because he doesn't age, right? Like, he would probably still be in there. 
But like if I was able to predict that, that would be crazy. But that's what happens in scripture. When you look at the Old Testament, you see prophecy after prophecy and you see Jesus, his birth, but then ultimately his death and resurrection all happened just like it was told hundreds of years earlier. And so Jesus you know, is, is, is coming to be this suffering servant. Well, why do we need a suffering servant? And that's the next point on your outline. We have a sin problem. He came to be a suffering servant because we have a sin problem. Jesus endured the cross for you and for me, and he did this by paying our debt. He paid the sin debt that we need to pay, but he paid it on our behalf so that we can trust in him and surrender to him and who he is. And so the cross, what it does ultimately is it solves our sin problem, and it gives us eternal life. But the cross is what solves the sin problem that we have and the sin problem that we face. We're gonna read on in Isaiah 53, Verse six, now this is several hundreds of years before Jesus is even uh, born. And so we're gonna see some of the things that were prophesied about how he would come and how this would all happen. Isaiah 53, verse six, we're gonna read the first half of this verse. And it says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Like sheep, we have strayed away. We are like sheep. Now, let's just to make sure we are clear, this is not a compliment We are told we are like sheep, we have strayed away, that we leave God's paths to follow our own, that we leave the will of God and what he has designed for us to pursue after the things that we want to see happen and the will and the path that we want to see laid out before us. And so our sin problem that we have is because we are just like sheep in so many different ways, and three of those ways I want us to kind of focus on right here that are in your outline. Like sheep, we are weak. We are weak. We do not have the strength to get through so many different things and temptations that we face day in and day out on our own. But we have the ability, as someone who is a Christ follower, to rely on the strength and the power of God himself. You know, with sheep, when wolves attack sheep, what do they do? They huddle up and they play dead. Not a very good tactic. Not a good strategy. Probably not gonna come out very well. And for for us, we give in too easily to temptations. We, we struggle with this because we are just like sheep. We give in to the temptations and the things we face. And something small, you know, it's only one little lie. It's only one time to, to cheat. It's only one time to, to look at what I'm not supposed to look at. It's only one time to leave, uh, you know, what God has planned for me. It's only one time to actually go against God or to sin or to do something wrong to somebody that I know. But that one time leads down a long, dark path. We're weak. But also like sheep, we are witless. We're witless. That our, our minds don't work all the time like they should. Or maybe we just don't trust in the minds that we have. You know, you can train a dog, you can train a bird, you can even train a cat. One of my best friends, Nathan, had a cat that he trained to use the bathroom. It was cool, but also really creepy. <laughs> but you cannot train a sheep. Have you ever seen a farmer out in a field looking at a sheep and like, sit, lamb chop, right? It doesn't happen. You can't train a sheep. But you can train all these other things. And so when we are told we are looking like sheep, it's saying like that our minds are scattered and that we get into all these different things that we're not supposed to be into. And so sheep will actually follow each other into danger. Let me rephrase that a little bit different. People will follow each other into danger. We will follow somebody else that's leading down a wrong, dark path and we will just follow on because if they're doing it, well, maybe I should do it too. It seems like it's okay. Maybe I should just follow them as well. But following down those paths that are away from what God has planned for us is something that could really lead us in a, just a, the wrong way. In 2005, in the country of Turkey, there was uh, 1,500 sheep that followed each other off a cliff. Only the first 400 died because then they had this big cotton pillow for the other 1,100 to land on. 
But you would think after like one, two, five, 20, you'd be like, maybe we shouldn't do this. But we do this over and over as humans. We will follow people left and right into wrong situations. Well, well, they're doing it. Maybe I should do it too. We don't often think of the eternal consequences of the momentary choices we make. We think temporary. We think small picture. We don't think big picture. We think right in front of us, not down the road, when we need to have a change in our mindset. But also like sheep, we are wayward, meaning we wonder. We will walk away from God and what he has planned. We don't do great on our own. We have stress, anxiety, we get overwhelmed. And all of these things lead to like overeating, overspending, overworking, overworrying, even overseeking after the things this world has to offer. That we get caught up chasing things. That we get caught up chasing approval and status and likes. But what we need to do is to chase after the one who has chased after us and his son Jesus, who came specifically for you and for me, and to redeem us. If we read on in Isaiah 53, 6, at the end of verse 6 and then verse 7, it says, Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Did you catch the words and the phrasing that's used here? Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all that Jesus took the sins of each and every one of us on himself when he died on the cross. And then he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Led like a lamb, turned in by one of his closest friends, turned on by the people that he had come to save. Have you ever felt hurt, betrayed, left out, misunderstood? He understands. We have a God that can sympathize with us because he has experienced the same things that you and I experience right now, right here. He's gone through it. And he was given over by his friend. His father turned away in that moment when he dies on the cross. Which leads to our next point, and that's this. Jesus was sacrificed as the Lamb of God so that you don't have to be. He was sacrificed in your place. He, he took care of it. He did it so that you don't have to. You see, in the Old Testament, lambs would be sacrificed on behalf of the people, and this would be just a momentary moment, like time period of salvation because they would find the best lamb that they could. It was not a perfect or a pure or spotless lamb, but they would find the best lamb that they could, and it would cover their salvation for a little bit. But the best lambs are not perfect enough to secure our eternity. There must be a payment for our sin, and that has to be done by a perfect lamb, which is Jesus who is sacrificed as the Lamb of God on our behalf. Jesus is the only Lamb that we need because he is the only one who is holy. And so when he is sacrificed on our behalf, we get to gain this righteousness and this experience because he did it for us. And so if we read on in Isaiah, and we're actually gonna back up a couple verses in Isaiah 53, uh, three through five. It says that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Look at those verses. Despised, rejected a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. This is what he is going through. This is what he is experiencing. It says that our weaknesses he carried, our sorrows that weighed him down. And then the crazy thing is here, it says, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. No, he was being punished for our sins. 
It says that he was pierced for our rebellion, the way that we rebel against God over and over. He was crushed for our sins, the things that we do that are wrong and that go against God's law. But he was beaten so that we could be whole, and so he was whipped so that we could be healed. The question I want you to think about is, why should you follow Jesus? Why should you follow Jesus? You should follow Jesus because he did these things for you. He did them for you. Once we truly understand the magnitude of his sufferings and the depths of his love, we would not casually say, I am a Christian. We would be committed 110%. We would be sold out. We would have everything that we do and say and speak and decisions that we make and all of these things, our entire life would be consumed with glorifying the God that saved us because of the God that loved us so much and had this deep love for us but also went through this deep, dark suffering on our behalf. We wouldn't casually just say, I'm a Christian. I go to church, I show up and I do the the things, you know, and I check the box each week. We would say, I am committed to this because the suffering that is meant for us, the suffering has been taken care of by Jesus himself. And I think we need to understand his declaration of divine love that we see in what takes out over his last few days. You think about the Garden of Gethsemane where he was at and praying with some of his disciples and he's overwhelmed with sorrow. And he's agonizingly aware of the impending pain and death that's about to come his way. In fact, he even makes this statement, Father, take this cup from me. Now, the term cup, I want to make sure we're clear, the term cup is the wrath of God is what is being spoken of here. But he says, Father, take this cup from me. You see, Jesus knew what was coming, the pain and the death that he was about to experience. The fact that he would be separated from God for a moment because of the, uh, the wrath and the sin that had, to, you know, had separated him and excluded him from experiencing who God is and the Father, and he would have this separation. And he says, Father, take this cup from me. To the point where his body and his heart was so stressed that he went through this thing called, it, it, the medical term is hemosiderosis, which is what this idea of blood that is, you are so stressed that blood in your capillaries is spilt out into your sweat glands and he begins to sweat blood because his heart and his body is in so much stress at, at this moment of thinking of the things that he is about to go through. And in this moment while he's in the garden, one of his friends, one of his closest followers and disciples, has made a decision to turn against him. And he brings guards with him, and he's turned in by his friend. He's falsely accused. He's unfairly then, then unfairly tried, with people giving testimony that contradicts and conflicts with each other. And he's sentenced to death. He's stripped. He's crowned with a crown of thorns. He's spit on. He's struck by these individuals. He's tied up, and he's beaten. Now, when they would do crucifixions, Roman crucifixions, there was two different ways they would do this before they would ever get to the cross. But when they went through the beating, they would either put their hands and tie them around a whipping post, or they would tie their hands and hold them up above their head so that it revealed their their body and their back and their legs. Everything would be revealed so that they could then use the instruments that they had. A lot of different tools were used in this moment, but one of the main things that they continually would use is a whip. And not just any whip, but a whip that had pieces of metal, bone, rock uh, at the end. And they would use this and they would tear into the flesh of the individual that they were beating. And so what Jesus is doing is he is tied and he is beaten, but he's not just beaten. It's the term that's used is scourged because he's beaten with this whip and it's made to tenderize his skin to the point where the skin begins to rip open. Ribs begin to maybe be laid bare. Organs may be even visible and to the point where skin and muscle begin to hang off just bloodied to the point of looking like a, a red ribbon hanging off of a Christmas package from his, from his body. And he knew this was coming, but he kept going. And he went through it for you and for me. A lot of people never made it past this point, but Jesus did because he had a mission. He had a calling on his life to carry out. 
And he's then forced to carry his uh, 100-pound crossbeam about 650 yards or so in what's called the way of suffering. He carries it to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, where they have this moment of, uh, of bringing this cross and, and bringing Jesus himself to this, to this point. And there's, they begin to pull out his beard, which is like this huge sign of disrespect in this, time, in this day and age. And so they get there and they lay him out on the cross. They lay his hands out. They lay his feet out. And they begin to put these nails around seven or so inches into his hands and into his feet. And as he's laid out, they begin to then stand up the cross and they drop it into a hole and the whole weight of his body just hangs on the cross. You see, the weight that he was experiencing and the things that he was going through right then as he's hanging from the cross by these nails is an excruciating pain. In fact, the word excruciating actually means from the cross because the pain that he was experiencing is so immense and so just hard to even fathom and understand, especially for us right here and now. But as he's hanging from this cross, it's the heat of the day, it's the hottest point of the day. He's struggling to breathe. Asphyxiation is what kills most people on the cross. And so each time they have to take a breath, they have to raise themselves up to be able to take a breath because when they're hanging, they can't breathe very well. People would last hours up to maybe nine to 10 days at the most. And so Jesus in this moment, as he has gone through this incredible beating and suffering for us, he's actually offered wine mixed with myrrh to help numb the pain. And not too long after that, he yells out, it is finished. You see, what was finished? The wrath of God had been satisfied. It is finished, and our atonement, our payment for our sin has been made by Jesus' death on the cross, which leads to the next point. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God because it was required, because it was required. He did it because it had to be done. The cup, the wrath of God. Jesus knows that the wrath of God is, an, is this abyss, it's this chasm, it's this gigantic you know, hole or nothingness between uh, us and God that separates us from God, that excludes us and separates us from God's light and his love. And Jesus bridges the gap by what he does on the cross. He bridges the gap. He fills the cup so that we can make our way across this gap, this abyss, and get to God. He provides the way, and he is the only one that provides the way. That's what Christmas is about. Isaiah 53, 8 and 9, and then also verse 11. It says, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Look at these verses. Look at the things that he went through, struck down by the people rebelling, that he had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. But he did all these things, as what it says right there in these last few words, for us to be counted righteous, because he has bore all of our sins. You see, what separates Christianity apart from all other religions it's not the cool, the good coffee and snacks. It's not the free, free babysitting on Sunday mornings or anything like that. But what separates Christianity from other religions is the bloody death of an innocent victim. The bloody death of an innocent victim. Other religions is about you suffering so that the God of that religion can be glorified. When our God says, I'm going to send my son to be the one who suffers on your behalf, so that I can be glorified, but also so that you can join me in glory. That's the message of Christmas. You see, the Old Testament, there was Passover, this event called Passover, where once a year God executed his temporary uh, judgment on the sins of all people, and he unleashed this, this fierce and righteous judgment on all who sin, which means 
everyone. And you want to unleash this. And so what could protect you from this? The only thing that can protect you from this is the blood of an innocent lamb. So these individuals would sacrifice it. They would cook the meat, they would eat the meat, they would smear the blood on the doorframe so that when the angel of death would come to that house, that angel of death would pass over that house because they had sacrificed the lamb to cover themselves for that moment, for that night, for that one event. And so they would pass over this house because of the blood that was smeared on the doorpost. And there's kind of a crazy picture, if you really think about what's going on, is there's blood smeared across the top and blood on each side. And as the blood at the top begins to naturally drip down and it makes the fourth point at the bottom, you see the picture of a cross from the blood that was shed from these lambs. And this happened hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for us so that we can have an eternal salvation, a salvation that cannot be removed, a salvation that cannot be overtaken or taken away from us by anyone or anything, one that assures us of our salvation, which leads us to the last point. Jesus was slain for all sins of all people. He was slain for all sins of all people. Jesus did this for all of our sins. You know, God became flesh and was pierced for our rebellion and our sin. He is beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped on our behalf. By the stripes that he bore on his back, we can be healed. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we love and that we worship each and every Sunday. That is the God that we are celebrating this Christmas and every Christmas. We are celebrating him because Jesus himself even told us kind of how this would all happen. You know, it was, all, it was prophesied hundreds of years earlier by so many different prophets. But also in the, uh, Luke 9, Jesus specifically talks about how this is gonna happen. This is what he says in verse 22 and 23. He says, the son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. This is an important passage for all of us to hear today. Jesus knew that himself, the Son of Man, must suffer many terrible things. The beating, the pain, the rejection that he went through. He, he knew that this was coming, and he did this for each one of us. He also says that he will be killed. He will be killed on behalf of humanity and our sin, our evil desires. But the cool part is this. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. That is why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross for our sins, but also he came to be resurrected three days later and so that we could experience life and a new life and an eternal life with God himself. And so Jesus did this on our behalf. And we celebrate that here, right here at Christmas and even you know, looking forward towards Easter in a few months as we celebrate that, that these two events are, are connected in an amazing way. There's a pastor and theologian from years and years and years ago named John Owen who says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We need to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. When this last verse in uh, verse 23 in Luke 9, he says, turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross daily and follow me. We need to turn from our selfish ways. We need to be killing off sin. Sin, temptation is in our life and we need to quit giving in like sheep. We need to not be weak. We need to not be witless and we need to not wonder. We need to actually look to the God who is chasing after us and to chase after him, to pursue after him with everything that we have. That's what we need to celebrate. This greatest gift that we could have ever experienced is Jesus. It's God's son. You see, God sent these wise men to bring gifts. He sent them to bring gold, 
to prophetically declare Jesus as the King of Kings, that he is the King of Kings, but also to send this gift of frankincense, the idea that Jesus is our great high priest who, who rips the temple veil, who intercedes for us on our behalf, he, that he makes a way, an avenue for us to be able to connect to God, to be able to hear from God, but also to be able to talk to God, to be able to take our prayers to God and to connect with him when we surrender our life to Jesus, when we trust in him as our Lord and as our Savior. But also the gift of myrrh that we're talking about today, that this would declare that this child was born unto us to be crushed for our rebellion so that we could be made whole. This child was born to die on our behalf. You see, Jesus died and rose again so that we might be saved, that we, you and me, that we can experience salvation. That's why he came. And in Matthew, uh, it says that when Jesus died that the earth shook, that the rocks split, that the tombs opened, and the temple veil was torn. And what this does is this signifies that God had opened his presence to the world. He had opened his presence to the world. That It does not matter who you are. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter the sin and the issues that you've had in your life. It doesn't matter the things that you have done. It doesn't matter that the baggage that you walked in here. It doesn't matter that the things you're gonna think about and say on the way home. All that you need to know is that every single person has the opportunity to respond to the gospel invitation. That is this, this. You and me, we are sinners. And our sin leads us to one thing, and it's the pits of hell, separated from God for all eternity. But Jesus died on the cross so that you and I might live and have eternal salvation. All you have to do is to be able to admit that you are a sinner and to surrender your life to him and allow him to begin to work in amazing ways in your life. You see, the calling that we see right here is to deny ourselves, our evil passions and desires, but to daily die to self our lust, our lies, our hate, and then to follow after him with everything that we have. Simply put, this means that we need to repent of sin and to surrender to the Savior. That's what we need to do. Christmas is the first chapter of the book of redemption. Easter is the last chapter of the book of redemption. But you can't have Easter without Christmas. That's why Christmas matters right here in 2021. That's why these gifts signify and prophesy about who this Jesus is because there was so much symbolism about what was gonna happen years later in this child's life because this wasn't any child. This was the son of God. Christmas is the celebration of God's greatest gift, which is Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us who came and put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood so that we can see and experience who he is in our life. And he was born to die for you and for me. That's what we celebrate. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we do everything that we can. That's why we're gonna invest in God's word this coming year as a, as a church. And we are gonna dive in and see this story of redemption take place from Genesis to Revelation. And we're gonna be able to experience that. And for those of you that are here today that you do not have a relationship with Christ, let me just tell you, you are missing out on one of the greatest things that has ever been offered to you. And it is the greatest gift that anybody could ever experience. It's nothing that can get put under a tree but it's something that can be with you for the rest of your life on this earth and ultimately for the eternity that lies ahead. All you have to do is to submit, to repent to him of the sin that you have in your life and submit and surrender to who he is. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, the greatest gift that we have. Let's pray. Father God, right now, Lord, I wanna thank you for who you are, for your son, Jesus. Father, this Christmas and each and every Christmas, God, we celebrate the birth of your son, the birth of your son who was born to die in our place. But Father, this still matters today. It is still relevant to each and every one of us. 
Father, my hope is that this Christmas season, this week, as we celebrate Christmas, that as we open presents and spend time with family, to realize that we even have that ability because of you. And that, Father, that the gifts that are under the tree, the gifts that are handed out and passed around in the family and friends, that, Father, these are small symbols of the greatest gift that was given to each one of us, a gift that required no, requires no payment on our path, a gift that is available to each and every person if we would just accept it. Father, our sin separates us from you, that your wrath has to be satisfied. Father, that the payment for sin has been made by your son Jesus on the cross. Father, for those that are in this room that have never surrendered their life to Jesus, I want them to know that that payment is still to be required by them. But for those that have a relationship with Christ, the payment has been made. But each and every one of us can surrender our life to you through your son Jesus. My hope, my prayer is that we would do that today. Lord, work in our hearts. Break our hearts down right now of all the things that we've allowed just to build up between us, to be a roadblock, just to increase the, the chasm and the great hole between us and you. And allow us to walk across the bridge that is made out of a cross that Jesus died in our place. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.